Good morning. <laughs> so good to be with you this morning. Um, this is a wonderful day. I love this day. Happy Mother's Day. We are going to celebrate motherhood today. And listen, the last time I checked, I think that's for all of us here today, watching today. Why? Well, I think we've all had a mother, right? So we, we can celebrate motherhood together today. It's a wonderful, fantastic day. Uh, I have to be honest with you, uh, I've always loved this day. I've always loved Mother's Day. That's probably because uh, I had an amazing mom. Uh, she wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but she was a wonderful mother. So my, my memories of growing up and, and the way that she cared for my sister and I and my, and my dad and our home and everything else was amazing. So I have great memories of her. She passed away four years ago, and I still have a picture on my desk beside uh, where I work during the week, and I look at her every once in a while, even though she's not with us here today. I'm celebrating my mom, Eunice Davies, with you today. I also benefited, of course, greatly in my life uh, since I became a believer many years ago at the age of 23 uh, from my spiritual mom, who is Janice's mother, Carol King. She has been an incredible encouragement to me, and she has prodded me and encouraged me in my faith and walk with Jesus, and quite frankly, she's my uh, greatest encourager when it comes to the ministry that God has called me to. I, I've also had the amazing honor to watch my wife Janice bring three boys into this world and raise them and do an amazing job to this day. And, and the truth is, I also get super excited whenever I find out that there's news of someone new in our church or in the community who's pregnant. I, I, have to, I got to admit, I, I have to be really careful on a couple of fronts there because um, sometimes I'm so excited, I, I, I maybe put the news out there before people want, and I've been... I've been uh, yeah, not punished, but I've been corrected for that. And, and, and also, I don't know what it was, but it, there were times in my life when I was like, I've learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, it's not a good thing to reach out and touch the tummy. I mean, I'm talking, you know, like eight, nine months when it's just an amazing thing. But I get so excited, and, and honestly, I do. And, and I think some women think that's pretty odd of me. But I remember one time actually, uh, actually being here in uh, the ledge uh, during a, a service or before or after, I can't remember, and I was talking to a young lady who uh, no longer lives here in Squamish, and she was pregnant, she was at that stage. We are having a great conversation, we're right in front of each other, just a few feet apart, and I think she sensed that I was considering going in for the touch, right? And she just looked at me and said, don't do it, right? And <clears throat> she was really firm about that, so... Um, yeah, I learned that lesson. So uh, now listen, also, of course, today we, we will acknowledge, we must acknowledge, I will acknowledge, that uh, for some women, this Mother's Day or Mother's Day in general can be challenging, can be difficult. What I'd like to ask all of you to do with me this morning is let's consider motherhood. Let's, let's be encouraged by what God has in mind for motherhood. And for the mothers that we know and the good examples of motherhood today. And as we conclude, we will come back to that. We will come back to you if that's you here today. But for the time being, let's celebrate and let's consider motherhood together. As I began praying about and, and thinking about this message actually a week or two ago, um, I started off, and I always do this with a few questions in my mind, uh, questions that I think I need to answer in order to be able to preach God's word to you or bring something to you that might even be remotely helpful. Uh, so I, I started looking around for some questions, and my first question honestly was, because I'm a little bit removed, our children are older, we've got grandkids, which is awesome, but a little bit removed from where some of you are today, and so my question was 
that I needed answered was, what does motherhood look like today in 2020 in COVID-19 and self-isolation? Well, and up until this time, how has it changed, quite frankly, over the years and in our current cultural moment? You see, from my experience, which is over the past 40 to 50 years, I've seen many changes, actually. Uh, I've seen the changes from my parents' generation to my generation to my children's generation, and now we're starting to see their children's generation, and I've seen some significant changes. My mom, Eunice, was probably the first one in our North Toronto neighborhood that I know of to start working outside the home. It was actually an amazing period of time. I think it was about, you know, I don't know how old my sister Paula and I were, but listen, let's put it this way. We were old enough that my mother felt comfortable leaving us at home until she got back from work and that we would not either burn down the house or kill each other. Right? And, and so she went to work, and she went to work for the T. Eaton Company, a department store in downtown Toronto. She started off in the cosmetic department because she was a pretty lady and she loved that. But then she moved into the accounting and bookkeeping department, and throughout the rest of her life, she always had work to go to. She enjoyed it very, very much. Um, she worked also not only to do it for her own enjoyment, but my dad was a, a laborer, a construction worker, and you know we were doing okay, but she wanted to provide some extra income for our family, and, and she did. So I saw that, but from that point on, and especially during the generation that I moved into at, in my high school years, oh boy, lots of changes happened. Um, we saw a lot of changes. First came the 60s, late 60s in particular, and yes, we were all hippies, okay? That's my memory. We all were hippies. The first truly rebellious generation of all time, uh, we rebelled against our parents, against authority in every way, shape, or form, and I, I, I must confess, I was happy to play my part at that time. Next came, of course, a couple of groundbreaking things. The first was the pill, the birth control pill. And along with that came, in the hippie generation anyway, the idea of free love. Well, that was interesting. I also remember well, um, really well, late in high school, getting dressed in my bell-bottom blue jeans and my tie-dye t-shirt and my very long hair and carrying a, a placard and going into a march in downtown Toronto in what I believe was the very first women's liberation movement parade. That was, that was a groundbreaking event. Things changed very quickly at that point. The battle for women's rights and equality in the workplace uh, became very intense. And it was needed for sure. That's why we were protesting. That's why we were marching, was for women's rights. And we believed in that. And then it also moved into the home and into marriage. Boy, that was, those were some challenging times for certain. And again, there were changes needed there as well. However, my point is this. Who we are as men and women, marriage and motherhood, was being redefined in those days. And it has been, I believe, ever since. And so the question is, for the better or? So fast forward to today, 2020, right? And, and here's where I conclude, honestly, I do, uh, at least from my assessment, my investigation, and my discussion with some ladies in the last uh, couple of weeks, we can see this, we can see both the good, yes, the good and significant ways in which motherhood has not only been preserved, but enhanced through all of these cultural changes, and yes, yes, ways in which motherhood 
has been impact, impacted positively and negatively. Here's one possible way that that's the case. From the 1960s to the late 90s, one negative impact from this feminist movement in particular, and yes, men's poor response to it, men didn't like it at first, let's be clear, was what became known as the battle of the sexes. I mean, that was a, that was a, a decade or a two-decade-long thing, the battle of the sexes, which created this, this competitive spirit, women competing with men in the workplace for equality and value and worth, um, but also in the home. And this presented some great challenges, which needed to take place, of course. But overall, that's not what, of course, God had in mind for any of us. He neither created us, listen, to compete with one another or actually what we in our culture think, which is for compatibility. I mean, the idea in the culture is, is that if you're into rock climbing and I'm into rock climbing or into mountain biking or into whatever it might be, the more things we're compatible in, well, the better our relationship and marriage will probably be. Well, actually, uh, over <laughs> several decades of counseling couples and seeing it in other couples, the saying Oppets, opposites attract is very, very true. It's certainly true in our relationship and my relationship with Janice. I mean, I've liked hockey, played hockey almost all my life. I've done my best to introduce her to it. She still hates it, okay? Or she doesn't want to watch it. Let's put it that way. She's glad if I'm going to watch it just as long as it's not five nights a week. I've tried. So, what does God have in mind then? What does God have in mind, uh, especially for us and for motherhood in particular? Well, I want to suggest to you that God has designed us perfectly, male and female, men and women, for loving marriage relationships, and yes, for having children, but that we would complement one another. We're not the same. <laughs> we are different. And honestly, uh, what I've learned over 40 years of marriage is that discovering and embracing those differences is actually what makes for a deepening love and affection for one another and relationship. So now let's have a look. I want to have a look with you at a very famous passage of Scripture. Uh, it's found in Proverbs, the last proverb in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. And I would like to look at it for you today and see just some really encouraging and amazing things about motherhood. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll look into this subject of motherhood today. Begin reading with me, Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10. The writer writes, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm. All the days of her life, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, 
for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for motherhood. Father, today we, we wish to celebrate our moms and moms in our midst and our wives who are moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers we wish to celebrate women who are all of our mothers. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for gifting us in this way. Thank you for planning it this way, that we would all be born of a mother. And thank you for giving women this special, special gift. And so, Lord, we just pray today that all women would be encouraged. All women would be encouraged, and men as well. We thank you for your words. So I thank you for this amazing proverb. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth that you intend for us, for women, for moms today found in it. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. Title for your sermon today is Celebrating Motherhood. <laughs> Go figure. Three things I, I hope we will see from this amazing parable and our message today. Number one, a godly mother's counsel Number two, a godly mother's character. And number three, a godly mother's source. So number one, a godly mother's counsel. Now, Proverbs, uh, you don't have to be a Christian to know that there's a book in the Bible called Proverbs. It's one of the more famous books in the Bible, uh, books, a book of wisdom, a collection of wisdom. King Solomon, the son of King David, wrote most of the Proverbs and was known for his great wisdom, something that he asked God for. And God not only gave him the greatest wisdom of all time, the Bible teaches us, but also great wealth. Proverbs opens with these words of Solomon writing in verses 8 and 9 in chapter 1. He says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head, and pendants for your neck. So much of the book of Proverbs has been written to his sons, or to men it would appear, but clearly all of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs uh, are applicable to men and to women in our world and culture. So what I do want to highlight for you here at the beginning, even Solomon at the beginning, is not only saying, these are my words to you, my son, but he's saying, you heard it, right? Listen to your mom, right? Listen to your mom. 
He instructs his sons to do that, to listen to his, their mothers and remember what she taught you. And so that's the key that I want us to see as we come to the last proverb in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, today. And it's fitting. I think it's fitting when you think of how Solomon has arranged this, or really the Holy Spirit has arranged this book, that it starts off with the, the husband, the king, speaking to his sons, telling his sons to remember their mother, to listen to them, and then ends with the words of an amazing, amazing woman, wife, and mother. He holds her up. So if you look back at the beginning of chapter 31, verse 1 actually tells us, it says the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So these are the words that his mother taught him that we're reading. So who is this guy? Who is King Lemuel? Well, if Solomon, in fact, is the writer of the Proverbs. Well, scholars believe that uh, it's quite possible that he collected some of these Proverbs or King Hezekiah later did and put the book together in completion. But also some scholars believe that Solomon liked to use from time to time in a humble way a pen name. And so it's possible, uh, there's no conclusive proof of this, that uh, Solomon also wrote this. And if that is the case, then you know who his mom is. She's Bathsheba. And that's interesting. We don't have time to go into that today, but you might want to think about that in community group this week. So what we do know is that the chapter begins with this mother giving her son similar wisdom, similar wisdom and instruction to what Solomon has been given to his sons throughout the book of Proverbs. We learn in the first nine verses that I didn't read to you so far today that she taught her son basically three things. Go ahead and look at it for yourself if you want. First, don't spend your strength on naughty women. That's the first thing that she teaches them. Secondly, don't drink too much wine or liquor. And thirdly, always think about the poor and the needy. Wow. It's pretty good counsel, don't you think? Moms, ladies, are you teaching your kids these things? This is good counsel. And this is what Proverbs teaches us. And so that's point number one, very quickly, is that a godly woman, she's a godly mother, and it's her godly counsel that we see in these first nine verses. And so now picking up in our text today, we move on to point number two, which is God's, uh, a godly mother's, pardon me, character. And so first and foremost, this whole passage speaks about, I, I want to say, screams, <laughs> really, overall, and it might not seem to at first, at first reading, um, uh, what you might expect. It might not look this way, but the key is not at all, listen, about all of the things that she does. They're amazing. But it's not about that. No, it's, it's not about who she is, or pardon me, what she does, but it is about who she is. It is about the character of this woman that is on display here and that God wants us to see. So even, even those, those verses, you see several that start with, start with, she is, right? But you see a few that, uh, that clearly lead to things that she's doing or does. But even in the doing of those things, you can see in her and in her actions, her character working out. It's her heart. So I want to show you, we see at least five things, five character traits or attributes in this passage, in this section about this woman. And, and the first is, 
And we're going to just, I'm just going to bounce around to a few verses, not in chronological or, or written order, verse by verse, but just to see how in various verses these things are shown. Number one is her value and worth are displayed in these verses. In verses 10, 25, and 29, we read, she's an excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. And finally, the words of her husband, many women have done excellently, but you, you, my wife and mother of my children, surpass them all. So these are the words and declarations of both her husband and her children who have been blessed by her. Actually, the word there that was used in the ESV, the word excellent wife, doesn't really convey, honestly, the deep meaning that we find in the Hebrew. If you read in the Hebrew and you see in the, the Hebrew, a good translation would be this, a woman of valor who can find. And the reason why I suggest that is that the two words that go together to make up the word excellent or woman of valor um, are also used in other aspects of the Old Testament where we talk about, now of course they use the word for man or, or, or a warrior, and, and men of valor. You've heard that before many times in the Old Testament, so I want to suggest to you, why wouldn't we see that and hear that here? And so the sense we should get then is that she's, listen, she's really strong. She's very courageous. And she is valued, valued. And her great worth, listen, wasn't, wasn't because she keeps her house well, that she does the dishes, and that she, their house is, you know, Pinterest perfect, or that she's you know, looking pretty good after two, three, four, five kids. It isn't that. It isn't that. It, she's a woman of valor. She's strong. And it's about her character. And so I have a question for you men and for you sons and daughters here today watching, listening. My question for you is how often have you praised your mother, your wife, the mother of your children in this way? How often have you looked at the things that she does and, and how, how hard she works and how, how much she gives of herself to the family and to you and see her as strong and courageous and a woman of valor? Many years ago, I think it's eight, maybe nine years ago now, Janice and I uh, did a trip that we always wanted to do. We drove all the way up to Prince Rupert and took the boat across to Haida Gwaii uh, with our son Jonathan and, of course, our, our golden retriever, Gracie. And we had two weeks of camping over there. It was an awesome trip. But the highlight, one of the highlights was I love the Haida Nation people. The men and women of the Haida Nation are uh, really gentle, loving, kind, welcoming people. They love it when we come and visit their beautiful land, the Queen Charlotte Islands, or better known now today as Haida Gwaii. And I remember one day we were at a celebration. It was actually a celebration of the Haida Nation people at one of their beautiful facilities. And they were, there was dancing and there was drumming going on. But one of the most incredible things that I remember seeing was um, the women were coming out dressed beautifully and they were brought up on stage. And the men repeatedly were coming up to the microphones and they were, they were using this frame. We want to introduce you to you, this, these women of high esteem. Now, of course, their, their society is a matriarchy, um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful society, um, but it was beautiful to see the men speaking of the women in these ways. And you know what? These men were still quite strong and virile, and they were just doing a lovely and wonderful thing, these women of high esteem. I'll never forget that. 
The second attribute or characteristic of this woman that we see in this passage is, yes, come on, it's her industrious nature. She's incredibly industrious, right? She's up to a lot. And and what's the old saying? There is no moss growing beneath this woman's feet, is there? Really? I mean, throughout this passage, we see that she's providing for her family in so many ways. She provides them with uh, proper clothing. She finds wool and flax, and she spins it. She brings food from afar. She's looking, you know, she's going into Vancouver. She's looking at the ships, what's coming in, the fresh market. She's getting stuff for her home and for her children. It's wonderful. She provides them proper clothing. She finds wool, and as I said, she spins it. It's, It's amazing what she does. She even gets up before dawn and cooks them breakfast. Okay, hang on, hang on, stay with me here. She's tireless in her work, is what we see. She's a hard worker. She's looking for bargains, even late into the night. My mom was a coupon clipper, (laughs) you know. She worked hard, and she mothered us really well, and, and she was a coupon clipper. This woman cares for and watches over the entire household. This is her home. This is her family. And she makes her own clothes and even her bedspreads. And so also look at it this way. She looks after the home, but also the finances. She knows how to manage a spreadsheet, right? It's amazing what this woman can do. And the checkbook. She buys and sells property. She plants vineyards with her earnings. She makes and sells linen garments and sashes. High bar. I understand. Attributes. Characteristics. Thirdly, She displays motherly wisdom. Now, we've already seen that in the first nine verses of this in the way that she counseled her son, right, with with great, great wisdom. But we also read in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I mean, in this regard, we see that when she opens her mouth and she speaks with wisdom, it is wisdom that is equal to her husband's. Remember, Solomon, listen to your mom. Listen to your mom. Listen to me and listen to your mother. And yet we notice here that there's something a little different about her tone. She teaches her children with a voice of kindness and a strength of its own and in its own way. This is her motherly wisdom. Fourthly, It's her testimony and her legacy that we see on display here. Verses 11 to 12, 23, 28, 31, they all speak to many things, but specifically to her testimony and to her legacy. It's incredibly profound, and I want you to see, all of us to see this, and please hear me right here. She makes her husband look good. She makes her husband look good, right? As a result of her character, her husband and her children not only praise her and honor her, but she makes her husband look good in the community. We've seen this already in verse 11 where he trusts her. He trusts her. Why? Because she has his back and he has her back. They complement one another. I I sadly, uh, I have to tell you that many times Janice and I over the years have counseled um, men and, and women. Janice counseling the women, of course, but sometimes as couples. And I sadly have been in, in counseling sessions where often, um, um, typically, uh, unfortunately, it often is the wife, and she is just calling out her husband in front of us, 
repeatedly, and, and you know that if she's doing that in, in, in front of Janice and I or other couples that this is going on elsewhere. And listen, men can be guilty of that too or guilty of other things too. But the idea that we see from this woman and in, in a complementary relationship and marriage is she makes her husband look good. She speaks highly of her husband and vice versa. It's incredibly important. So her testimony and legacy then are experienced by both her husband and her children. And verse 31 tells us this. It says this, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works be praised in the gates. Her testimony and legacy then therefore are public. She's of good report in the house, in the home, and in the community for being a strong, courageous woman of valor. Hmm. Well, pretty incredible woman, right? <laughs> uh, encouraged so far, ladies, right? So no, honestly, think about this. What do you think? What do you think when you hear this and, and you see this woman's attributes and her actions and, yes, her character laid out before you? I did some research, and as I was looking around, I, I come, came across an article by a, a Christian woman author, blogger. It was written, I think, six or seven years ago. It was really good. I, I, I question whether I should read it because some of the things I've known she's written about before, I, I questioned, but I, I decided to, and I was really glad I did. Learned uh, some really important lessons uh, from her comment. But one thing that she said at the very beginning was is that typically what happens for her is on the Monday after... Mother's Day, her inbox fills up with all kinds of women writing to her, and, and to quote her, she says this, and they, they write in and they say this. She puts it, they grimaced through another Proverbs 31 sermon. Right? She went on to say that although she understood, she understood that most pastors mean well and they wish to honor women, I certainly do, but she went on to say, if they're not careful, they'll just end up, and I quote, doing this, presenting women with just another super heroine example of impossible standards by which to mark my shortcomings as a woman. Ouch. So, if you're here today and you're feeling a bit that way, let me try to help you if I can. First... Is this not, not also true? Whether you're a Christian woman or not, culturally speaking, and despite all the good, and yes, good intentions that feminism has and does have, is it not also true that that narrative, that narrative that you, 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 you can be the woman who ha can do it all, you can have the children, you, you can have multiple children, you can have a career, you can... You can have all kinds of lifestyle things. You can have it all. Doesn't that narrative sometimes also set you up to fail or feel like it's a little bit too much? I think sometimes we look at this and, and there's a couple of negatives that can come from that narrative alone. And one is, and I've seen this, where, where some women have been made to feel that if I choose, if I want to be a stay-at-home mom, at least for a time and a season, then I'm less of a woman. I'm not a real woman because I don't have 
that career. I'm not complete. And secondly, doesn't it also have the potential to make a woman feel that she must be this superwoman? And yet she cannot live up to that standard either. So now, please understand this. Yes, things have, pl- have changed since biblical days. Of course they have. We, we live in a society today, and at least since the, the days of my generation, where the cost of, of living and buying a home and owning a home essentially requires, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, that mom and dad both work because of the financial need. And yes, in a lot of cases, women um, are called to careers. My wife is a genesis, is a cardiac care specialty nurse. She's really good at it. She's well-trained. It's a calling for her. And she does work as a professional, and it's an amazing thing. So now please understand, as I said, these things have changed. But my point simply is this. Both narratives can lead to women feeling inadequate. Well, I've got some good news for you. (laughs) I've got some really good news. I hope for you. And the good news is this. You're right. Either way, you cannot do this. And that's the good news. So believe me and hear me well, this is equally true for men. You You cannot be all things to all people. None of us can. And have it all as a woman either. Something, honestly, must give. And listen, I know many of you. I know you know that, right? I know that you know that, and you're trying to work that out. It's interesting that I also often see the hashtag, and trust me, again, I understand the principle and premise behind it, but it's the hashtag, I am enough. Well, it's a bold declaration, and I understand the principle, but you know what's interesting about that, right? It's mostly, if not only, women using that hashtag. Friends, that should tell us that all women are finding this hard. So here's the good news. I hope you will see. And the secret to, and the beauty of this Proverbs 31 woman, and it's her fifth and most important character attribute. She is a godly mother and wife. And it is this. It is her godly source of wisdom and strength that allows her to be this kind of woman. Verse 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman, look at this, who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, oftentimes, of course, the first part about charm and beauty, uh, not being enough, is what is highlighted. But I want you to see this. She, this woman, this mother, this wife, is to be praised. Why? Because she fears she has reverence for her Lord and her God. Proverbs 31 is not, all Proverbs are not, by the way, descriptive or prescriptive, pardon me, they're descriptive, but they're not prescriptive. Right? They don't prescribe the ways that you must behave in order to be happy and joyful and successful or to be a great mom. But they are fantastic principles to aim for. But hear me and hear the word, not in your own strength. You're going to need some help. Yes, from your husband. Yes, even from your children. Yes, from your mother and your father and from others in the community. But most importantly, you're going to need the kind of strength that only God can provide you, that only Jesus can provide you in the power of his Holy Spirit. 
And to do that, he needs to redeem you and restore your identity to be the woman that he is calling you to be. Friends, I believe we can know from Scripture exactly what God has in mind for us as male and female, as men and women, in marriage and for raising children. We understand that He, God, we understand this. We understand the gospel. He, God, created us in His image, and the identity He has for us, or at least had for us, was perfect. However, we're fallen. We're broken people. And as a result, we are not who we were intended to be, and therefore we are unable to truly live the beautiful, the healthy, the prosperous life that God God intended for us and intended to give to us without Christ and His transformational work in our lives. I know that. I hope you know that. We cannot do this. Hashtag, we are not enough, any of us. We all need Jesus Christ. So let me leave you with a couple of thoughts, a couple of takeaways today that I hope will encourage you. First, ladies, uh, every mom out there, I know so many of you, we have so many moms in our church and our community, we celebrate you today. You are amazing. You're doing a great job. We celebrate you. You are a gift to your family. And you are a gift to all of us. Secondly, may I suggest that all women have a mothering gift. There are so many illustrations and examples I could give you of that, but just just imagine this one. You know, there's a home where a mom is working and dad's working, or or a single mom especially would be a case like this, where you have some some kids and and the eldest is a daughter, and, and when mom's away, is she not mothering in a very young age? Her siblings, if not, (laughs) yeah. The mothering gift exists in every woman, I believe. And quite frankly, the mothering gift is necessary. It's needed in the church, needed to be exercised in the church. So may I also suggest that this, this gift of mothering never leaves you even if you've never been able to have children or you've raised your children and they're, they're gone now, this mothering gift never leaves you. Your mothering gift is not just given to you by God for your blood family, but also your blood-bought family. There's a beautiful picture in the Scripture, of course, of a son who loved his mother very much, and it's found in John 19 verses 26 and 27. Jesus is within moments of giving up his spirit, of breathing his last breath, dying on the cross, and his mother is at his feet. And I can just imagine the picture. He just pulls with his arms so that he can pull himself up and get another breath. And he looks down at his mother, who he sees, and he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. The Apostle John is standing right beside her. And then he says to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And so obviously it's a beautiful picture of Jesus caring for his mom, right? Of course it is. But there's more to it, I believe. Read it again. He starts off with the words to marry his mother, behold your son. 
Is he simply suggesting that, behold your son, because what I want you to do, John, is now take my mother Mary back to your home and your family and look after her? Yes. Yes. But I also believe he is saying to his mother, Mom, adopt this man as your son. Mother John. Yes, adopt him as your son. So finally, today, this morning, I hope you've been encouraged by this. I hope, ladies, you will, you will if you've ever read the, the Proverbs 31 woman and gone, ah, well, I hope you'd be more encouraged by it. I am. Uh, I'm encouraged by her character. I'm encouraged by the principles that are laid out there. And I'm encouraged by the fact that I see so many of you doing different things like that in our culture today, working so hard to pr- provide for your family and for your husband and, and uh, for your church as well. But let's also today, in conclusion, let's speak to those who find this Mother's Day hard. Today can be a hard day for those women, come on, who have miscarried. We've had women in our church, um, uh, sisters of women in our church who have had multiple miscarriages and lost their children. It's a hard day. It's a hard day for those women. And so today we celebrate you. We want to encourage you to celebrate as well. There are those in our church family who have in the last year lost their wife and mother of their children. Brother and friend, we want to celebrate her with you today and with your children and grandchildren today. And yes, of course, we also know of a dear mom in our church family who within the last few months tragically lost her daughter in a terrible accident. Dearest friend and mother, we celebrate you today. We love you. And we will be praying for you throughout this year that next Mother's Day and the Mother's Day that follow that, days that follow that, you will find again your great joy in the gift of motherhood. And yes, that's what it is. Motherhood is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. May we all be encouraged by what God has given us in this great gift. And may we celebrate motherhood every day, not just on this Hallmark Day, but every day. Pray with me, would you?